Well, good morning. It is really great to be here worshiping with you, getting to join voices together, praising our God, and just being reminded of the God that we serve and that we can trust Him and put our faith in Him. Um, Thank you also to the leadership giving me the opportunity to speak and address you and speak from God's Word this morning. It's a huge honor, huge privilege, and I just want to say thank you for that. It is a beautiful morning. The sun is actually shining, so that is great. That lifts my spirit for sure. Um, I hope it does for you as well. Um, We are in the third part of a 10-week long series called To Die For, and we're looking at the book of Hebrews and talking specifically about faith, uh, faith in Jesus, fully God, fully man. Um, And as we get rolling this morning, I need you to imagine something for me. I need you to imagine me as a sixth grader. Okay. I need you to imagine me as a sixth grader at summer camp. Now, my sixth grade year at summer camp, this is an important year because this is the first time I have the opportunity to sign up for the whitewater rafting trip. Now, at this camp, you're nobody until you've been on the whitewater rafting trip, so it's a big deal. Um, and I've I've heard stuff about it, but I'd never been able to experience it for myself. So I was excited. I was amped. But I was also really, really nervous because I didn't know what it was going to be like. I'd never done it before. I didn't know what to expect. I'd only heard from other people secondhand. I'd only heard, hey, uh, there's going to be some places where it gets really tight. There's some really fast rushing water. There's going to be some places where the waves crash over the boat. There's going to be some times when you're headed right directly for a rock and you have to essentially run in it to make run into it in order to make your way around in order to navigate that part of the river. There's even some talk about a waterfall. I was definitely excited but also nervous too. And I realized, hey, I was going to need to ha- to trust I was going to need to fully trust our counselors and particularly the guide that was going to lead us down this river. I needed to have full and total confidence. Now, I wouldn't have been able to articulate this as a sixth grader, but I wanted to have, I wanted to have a leader. I wanted to have a guide who was relatable. I wanted to have a guide that I knew Uh, could relate to my experience, could relate to my fear, could relate to my hesitation, my not knowing exactly what to expect, and could communicate to me, could communicate instructions to me in a way that I would understand, in a way that would make sense for me. I also needed to know that this leader was qualified. I needed to know that this leader knew what they were doing, that they'd been trained, not just in uh, river guiding, but even in something like CPR and rescue breathing, in case something were to happen, I needed to know that this person was qualified and they knew what they were doing. I also really wanted to know that this this guide was battle-tested, that this wasn't the first time that they were going down this section of river. They've done it before, and they'd done it enough that they were familiar. They knew what rocks to look out for. They knew don't go down that chute because that's going to take you to a whirlpool that's going to um, suck you in and hopefully spit you out somewhere down the river. They were going to know, hey, this is, this is where we have to uh, 
um, take a little bit of a jaunt to the side, even though it looks like going straight is the right way to go. So um, this is something that we know. This is something that we, we um, can, can understand. Um, we need a guide that has the experience that we can trust in. We need, when we face the struggles of life, we need a guide who's experienced and has experience in the field of human experience. You know, this, this transfers to not just river guides. This transfers to any leader we're going to put confidence into. We know that the quality of our experience uh, the quality of our experience is going to be dependent on the depth of our leader's ex- experience. So the quality of my whitewater rif- rafting experience is going to be dependent on the depth of that guide's experience. And I want to know that that guide has a depth of experience. Um, and this is where we find, this is where we find uh, the audience that the author of Hebrews is addressing. They have put their uh, faith and confidence in Jesus as their guide. They've put their faith and hope in him, but they're starting to lose trust. Um, and he is, he is writing to them to encourage them to go back to what they've professed, not to go back to what's familiar, what's safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. Um, and this morning, we're going to look a little bit deeper at a guide that has a depth of experience that goes beyond any other that we would ever find in this world. Um, and we're going we're gonna to do that by looking at um, Hebrews, uh, the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. So if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 14. And as you're turning there, uh, just a little bit of background. We know that... Um, Hebrews is written to Christians. The, the author is writing to people who already believe. So they already have, have put their, their hope, their trust, and faith in Jesus. But they're losing, they're losing faith. They're, they're losing um, that hope. And they're looking for other options. Because life has gotten difficult. Life has gotten hard for them. For those that expected following Jesus was going to lead to an easy life, they're faced with the harsh reality of persecution. They're faced with the harsh reality of being marginalized in society. It's harder to work. It's harder to get a job. It's harder to keep, it's harder to keep your job. Because when you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm following Christ, that puts you in a different category now. And maybe you lose respect from your peers Maybe you lose some opportunities that you would have otherwise had. So they're looking for another option. And here's, the, here's what's really appealing for the audience of Hebrews. Hey, let's just forget about this Christianity thing. We'll go back to the Jewish religion. Why? Because the Jewish religion, they, they've got a physical temple. Hey, they've got a, a sacrifice that's offered up. And I can see that. I can, I can uh, smell that even. I could touch that if I wanted to. That's real. And they've got a high priest that's going to offer those sacrifices. That's a person that's live and living color right in front of me. I can see them. 
I know they're there. So they're thinking about, hey, let's just jump ship, let's swim to shore, let's get off of this, uh, let's get off of this journey and go back to what's familiar. What we've, what we've come to trust in because of routine. So far in this series called to, uh, oh, and this is just uh, from one, one, one commentator before we go on. The author offers an apologetic for Christianity to stop the rush back to Judaism and away from the living person of God. So he kind of sums up this idea of the people wanting to rush back to what's familiar instead of pressing on forward in having a faith and a, and a, a hope in Jesus that's, that's deep. So, so far in this series, To Die For, we've talked, we've talked about uh, a couple things. Um, and these are, these are things that Christians have historically believed. We've said that Jesus is fully God. But we've also said Jesus is fully man. Now, there's some mystery with that. Um, Tim's done a good job of unpacking some of that for us. But we've got to hold on to that mystery. We've got to hold on to the, the fact that we can't make sense of everything. We're not going to be able to totally and fully and completely explain what that means to be fully God and fully man. But we have to keep that in mind as we're talking about Jesus as fully, fully human this morning. So as we open to the end of um, chapter 4 and the beginning of 5, we'll be led to look at Jesus a bit deeper and reminded that he's worth putting our faith in. He's worth following So as we, uh, as we go there, let me, just, uh, let me just open with a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you for being a guide with a depth of experience that goes beyond anything that we could know. Lord Jesus, help us to see you and trust you as guide. Open up your word for us this morning. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let it ring true. And Lord, continue to guide us and help us to know that we can put our full and total trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we start in the first section of our text, we're going to go from verses 14 to 15 um, to begin with. But uh, what we're going to see in our, in our passage this morning is that we have two imperative-like phrases. So um, there are two imperative statements made that are really necessary, really important. These we have to lock onto. These we have to, um, we have to see in our text. And then lastly, we're going to see one very simple but true uh, reason why we need to follow those imperatives. Why, would, why it's even important to follow those first two statements. So let's look at, um, starting with verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness or empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. 
Did you catch the first one? It's hold firmly. Hold on. Hold firm. And look. Look at what we have here. We have a, a high priest who has gone through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of, Son of God. Picture this. Jesus has gone before us through the heavens. He's blazed a trail for us. He's one that's leading us through the heavens. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. And the next verses are going to tell us why that is so significant. Look at the next verses. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus doesn't just stay distant and removed from us in his high position of honor, enthroned in heaven. No, he sends his Holy Spirit back to us, and he is relatable. He comes to be with us. He doesn't leave us alone. And he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's another thing that, that stands out for me in this passage too, in, the, in these verses. Jesus can empathize with us because he's been tempted, but he doesn't sin. He never sinned. So he can, he can empathize with us um, and he can, he can enter into our pain. He, he knows what it's like to face temptation. He stood up to every single kind of to temptation on every level. Okay, think about it like this. Think about you have a massive boulder. Okay, it's on the ocean floor, but part of it's sticking up out of the, out of the, out of the water, and waves are crashing over this boulder. Again and again, wave after relentless wave. High winds pick up. Strong waves, stronger current now. Bashing against this rock. But it's unmovable. It never moves. Now imagine all the little rocks, the smaller rocks that are around it. They're getting swept away by the current. They cannot stand up against the, the force of those waves and the current. Jesus has experienced temptation like we will never be able to experience it. He's experienced it to a level we'll never experience because we're those little rocks. When the, when the waves get harder, when the current gets faster, we're swept away. But Jesus stays firm. And he has felt the full force, the full brunt of temptation, being fully human. He didn't get a free pass when he walked on this earth. He felt every single bit of temptation, and he, he held firm. He stood up to it, yet was without sin. Um. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, it says, No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you can find out the strength of the German army. You can't find 
out the strength of the German army by, unless you're fighting against it. Not by, not by giving in. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it. Not by lying down. Jesus found out the strength of temptation like we never will. No one, no one is worth following as much as Jesus because he can relate. He can relate to what we're going through and he stood up against it and he can walk with us through any temptation, no matter how huge it is, no matter how big it seems. And if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, if everything else is lost on you, lock this one away. And I made it rhyme so you can remember it. The one who is great is the one who can relate. Again, the one who is great is the one who can relate. He knows what we're going through. And that's a big deal. So let's keep going. Um, We're going to go on to verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Did you catch the second one? The second imperative. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is saying, hey, we've got to lean into our guide's experience. We know that he's stood up to temptation. We know that he's walked in our, our shoes. We've got to trust that he's experienced in the field of human experience. But this is not natural for us. Why would the author of Hebrews need to write this? If it was, it's not natural for us to, um, to have confidence and to approach the throne. But we can because he's experienced. He's, he provides what we need as well. He's not just someone to follow. He comes back and provides everything that we need. Think about that river guide. He provides the equipment. He provides the boat. He provides all the tools that we need to navigate that river. And we don't, we don't always know what's best for us, especially in our time of need. At my weakest, I don't want to face the perfect Almighty God. To be honest, I want to go the other direction. I don't want to be reminded of my shortcomings. I don't want to stand next to perfection in my weakness. I'd rather avoid the throne and settle back into old habits Comfortable routines, just like the Jews, uh, just like uh, the audience settling back into that Jewish religion that was safe, soft, and comfortable. But this is when we need him the most. This is when we need our guide the most. In our time of need, when we're weakest, when we have the least experience, when we feel the least uh, prepared. We need a guide who's experienced in the struggle of life to face the struggles of life. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine a counselor. Now, you're going through something really, really uh, hard. It's difficult. There's a lot of pain. It's a big struggle for you. Imagine you're sitting with a counselor, and you've talked through some things. You've talked through some theories, some principles. But then that counselor 
opens up to you and shares something very personal to him. He shares something like a story. A story about when he was four years old and through four-year-old eyes, he witnessed his own sister die in a car accident. As the story unfolds, you realize, whoa, this guy's been through something. This guy knows what it's like to experience pain. This counselor knows what it's like to go through this kind of struggle, and they've gotten through it, they're on the other side. Suddenly, you're in a place where you can trust, where you can put your faith into that person because they know, because they're experienced. So let's keep going. We're going to go on into chapter 5. And we're just going to read verses 1 through 3. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. Here, we're not talking about Jesus anymore. We're talking about, a high, we're talking about a high priest. We're talking about a good priest. We're talking, about, uh, we're talking about a priest that has to offer sacrifices over and over and over again because they're not quite perfect. They're not quite complete. They don't quite get the job done. And we're talking about a high priest that has to offer up sacrifices for himself because he's not perfect. And when he's faced with the limits of his own personal weakness, he has to face that reality too that he's sinned, that he's fallen to temptation, that he hasn't been able to stand up to every wave. And now uh, we see in verses 4 and 5, no one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, Today you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek. So this isn't something that the good high priest or even the better high priest come to just on their own. They're called. And we see that the good priest is called, and, and so is, is Jesus. Jesus is called to his position as well. But now we're going to see where Jesus is better. Let's look at verses 7 to 8. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the picture of the better high priest. Because he learned obedience. He made real, he realized as fully human what it means to go through suffering, what it means to go 
to the very, very, very end, fully obedient to God, all the way to death. He overcame, he was tested, and he's been proven a good guide. And he can relate, not because he's a sinner, not like the good high priest, he can relate because he faced every temptation and overcame. He's relatable. And we see that Jesus, Jesus offers not multiple sacrifices, but one. He doesn't offer a sacrifice for himself. He offers himself to be a sacrifice for all of humankind. Our salvation is made real because of his obedience made real through this life. He wasn't doing just whatever he wanted. He was doing the perfect will of the Father, his heavenly Father. And here's the simple truth. This is the reason why we can take those first two imperatives, hold on, approach the throne. Because the simple truth is Jesus is better. I don't need to make that more complicated. (laughs) Jesus is better. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to um, flesh out for us here. But, so what? What What does that actually mean for us? What does it mean if I don't follow our guide, if I don't follow the guide that's experienced, what I end up doing is I end up leaning into my own inexperience. I choose my own personal inexperience rather than trusting in the experience of the one who's been there, who's done that. This is what it looks like for me personally. For me, my struggle is perfectionism. I know that sounds a little Michael Scott, like, hey, the only thing that, uh, my only weakness is that I'm just too dedicated to work. No, that's not what it is. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about perfectionism where it, it becomes paralyzing. It becomes the fear of man, the fear of people so much that I can't do what I'm supposed to be doing to the best of my ability because I'm so afraid of what people are going to think. I'm so afraid they're going to rate me at a C- instead of an A+. I'm so afraid I'm not going to have every I, I dotted, every T crossed. And it's going to come out and people are going to say, ah, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Not perfect. But you know what that is? That's me trying to please other people more than trying to please my heavenly Father. I don't know if that's a struggle for you. I don't know if you can relate to that. But what about these? What about, what about anger? What about guilt? What about greed? What about jealousy? Now, if you're angry, you don't have to navigate that by yourself. You don't have to navigate that alone. 
you can follow a great guide. And you can follow a great guide all the way to forgive. What if, what if you're... Um, what if greed is the issue? Well, you don't have to navigate that alone. You can follow the better guide and be grateful for what you have. What if it's guilt? What if it's guilt? You don't have to navigate that on your own. You can follow our great guide all the way to apologizing. There's something funny about um, whitewater rafting that I was thinking about as I was preparing this message. When you're following a guide down a river and you've never been down this river before, you've never had an experience like this, it's really, really easy to lean back into your own experience, which is actually inexperience. Here's an example. If you're going down the river and you've done everything you can to navigate the big rocks, you've done everything to get around them, but you've just gotten to a point where, yep, you're going to hit this rock. Your raft and everybody in it is going to make contact. There's no way to avoid it. The water's rushing too fast. You can't turn around. You can't, you, you can't even make a turn. The water is just too strong. And your guide says something really, really strange. Your guide says, lean into the rock. Lean in. Now, for me, if I've never whitewater rafted before, I am not doing that. I'm leaning away from the rock. That's what we're trying to avoid. I'm going to lean away. But really, that's leaning into my own inexperience. And let me explain what's going to happen if I decide not to listen to what my experienced guide is telling me. All the weight is going to shift because as soon as I start leaning, everybody else in the boat's going to lean too because they're going to see, hey, that, maybe that's what we should be doing. All the weight's going to shift to the back, the upstream edge of the boat. And it's going to start to go down. It's going to start to sink just a little bit, just enough. And the front edge is going to go up. And as you hit that rock, flip. Everybody out, going for a long swim. There's no way to avoid that. Once you lean away, once you, once you decide, I'm not listening, I'm doing what I think is best, you're going to flip. And you're going to go places that you didn't want to go, for sure. Now, let's play it through. What if we listen? What if we listen to our guide? Water's rushing from behind. We decide, okay, we'll listen, we'll lean in. You lean in, the front edge of the boat goes down. Water rushes underneath the back edge, the upstream edge, lifting the boat. You bounce off the rock and go merrily on your way. That's what it, that's what it means to follow our guide. That's what it means to follow and trust in a guide who knows what they're doing. They're relatable. They can communicate the information. Hey, lean into the rock. 
They're qualified. They've done it so many times, they know what's going to happen, even if you don't. And they're battle-tested. They've been down the river before. They've blazed the trail for us. Jesus is a good, best, better, whatever word you want to, whatever you want to use. He is our best option. Because he not only has experience, but he went to the end of human experience. Yes, all the way to death so that we could be led and guided. And he doesn't just stay on his, on his throne in heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit back down to us so we don't have to be alone. He gives us his word so we can know what he's trying to communicate to us. That's a guide worth following. That's the kind of faith that's to die for. And that is my prayer, that we would be encouraged and that we would be uh, reminded of the great guide that we follow. And we, could, and we could follow him into our week, into our struggles, and that we would find the strength in him instead of in ourselves. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being our great guide. Thank you for being a God who is relatable, who doesn't stay distant, but is completely and truly distinct in a class set apart from everyone else. Lord, thank you for your depth of experience. Thank you for calling us to you. Yes, telling us to hold on. Telling us to approach with confidence because you've already been there, done that. Lord, help us to lean in with confidence. Help us to depend on you for everything in this life. Help us to depend on you and lean into you when life gets difficult, when the struggle of temptation seems to be too much. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a good guide, our great guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.